God's Word. We're in the book of Romans near the back of the Bible. Those who are new to Scripture, you find it after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And this time today, we're going to read an interesting passage and look at an interesting passage that has Paul's itinerary in it. But it's not just your average itinerary. It has a distinct spiritual dimension to it. So listen to the word of the Lord from Romans 15, starting in verse 22. Paul says this, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however... I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected... I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that, by God's will... I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen and amen. You may be seated. She didn't have to give her time. She didn't have to choose to help. But she did when I was a little kid in need. When I was in the first grade, my mom would drop me off uh, uh, at a house, at a friend's house, uh, the Russells, uh, on her way to work in downtown Charlotte. And for months, the Russells would take me, their son, my my best friend, David Russell, uh, to Pinewood Elementary School in Charlotte. One morning, mom dropped me off as normal, and I went to the door, started knocking on the door. She pulled out of the driveway and went off to work. And while I knocked, no one answered. I knocked again. Nothing. Thought I'd get creative, go around the back and talk and see if if there was any activity in the house. But when I looked in the windows, I saw nothing. Little did I know that as a six, seven-year-old, I was looking at a house where they had actually overslept, all of them. In the meantime, I was trying to get to school, so I started walking as a six- or seven-year-old to school. And it was quite a hike to get to school for me. So I was about a third of the way there when I started to get nervous that I wasn't going to make it on time. And uh, I was getting nervous that I would buy myself in a neighborhood, a part of the neighborhood I wasn't as familiar with. So I literally stopped at a random house, knocked on the door, and And a woman came to the door, a middle-aged woman. She said, yes. And I said, 
hi, I'm Dean. I need to get to school, and my ride just didn't make it. Could you take me to school? (laughs) It was kind of amazing, actually. The woman was wonderful. She said, well, wait just a second. Let me get my stuff. I'm about to head off to work. So she grabbed her stuff, put me in the car, drove me to school, dropped me off. I literally never saw her again. It was a random act of kindness in the truest sense. And it was also a very giving act on her part. She was very gentle with me, and she was kind and gave to me in a way that I look back and think, man, I don't know if we live in times where you can knock on a random door and ask for things like that now. Well, that's, guys, what precisely we're going to look at here in Romans 15. When we look at the giving life of the Apostle Paul. This part of Romans 15 uh, reveals Paul's travel plans back in the first century as he was planning to go to Rome, much like you and I made plan to go to a destination for business or someplace like that. He was basically revealing his plans to the Romans themselves. And where he was writing from was just kind of a few countries over from the way we see it today in our world. He was writing from Greece in Macedonia. He was on his third missionary journey. And he didn't have to go to Rome, but he really wanted to go to Rome. And Romans 15 tells us not only his travel plans, but his desires to give to the Romans in a meaningful way, reflecting what happens when Jesus gets in your life. He turns you into a giving person. What are the components of a giving life as found here in Romans chapter 15? Well, I'm going to be a preacher today and I'm going to give you five P's. Five P's that are components of a giving life in Christ. And the first P shows up in the first verses in verse 22 when Paul says this, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. The first P is simply this. Paul is talking about his purpose, his purpose. And Paul wanted to live a life of purpose, and any kind of giving life has to have a sense of larger purpose to it. And apparently, Paul wanted to visit Rome, and he'd wanted to visit them for a really long time. After all, it was the center of power in the world, sort of like today a combination of Washington, D.C. and New York City. Uh, But for that length of time that he had been wanting to go see the people in Rome and the church in Rome, something interesting was going on. He says he was hindered from going. And why is that? Well, he reveals his purpose in back in verses 19 and 20. Look at that with me when he says, by the power of signs and wonders, uh, by the power of the Spirit of God, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I never can say that word, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, And make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. So he is in the business of going to places where Jesus' name had never been heard and preaching the gospel and planting churches. 
So what Paul had been doing for years, while he had this longing to go to Rome, was to actually go to places where the gospel wasn't. And it's obvious from our text that the gospel had already made its way to Rome because he was writing to an existing church there that he had had nothing to do with in planting. So Rome clearly had an influence of the gospel in its midst. So Paul kept skipping Rome. And that's kind of interesting to us. And in the text, he finally says that after years of skipping Rome, he is finally free to visit. But it's still for a greater purpose. Did you see this? He says in verse, uh, verse 24, I hope to see you in Rome, but I'm really on my way to Spain. Here he was again, highlighting his sense of purpose and how Rome was just a part of that larger purpose to preach where the gospel did not exist. So really what Paul was going to do is he was going to hang out in Rome for a season, spend time with them, and he was going to actually move on to Spain. Uh, to Spain. Now, let me make it clear. He makes it clear in, earlier in the book in chapter 1 that when he goes, he's not going to use the Romans. He's going to give them a spiritual gift. He goes on to say that he will show up in verse 29 in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And here's what he means by that. That he is overflowing with the gospel, with the work of the Spirit in his own life so that he can share that with the people who are struggling in Rome to follow Jesus. So here he's saying, I'm coming to give to you for a little while, but I'm going, i got a bigger plan in the future. Now, what's this got to do with us, with all this talk of Paul? Well, clearly, uh, Paul uh, is alluding to the thing that all of us have as Christians in our lives, and that is a purpose, a calling, a role in God's kingdom. Not all of us here are apostles. Definitely not all of us are pastors or called to be pastors like me. But there is a principle involved here that Paul, uh, that all of us as Christians, rather, like Paul, have a role in the church. So here's the question. What's your role in the kingdom? Every Christian who is called by Christ to a certain body has at least a simple role in the church. How do your gifts, your passions, your experience in Christ all meet together so that you overflow with the blessings of Christ in giving for the kingdom labors? And guys, you have to know, it doesn't have to be fancy stuff in terms of role. It doesn't have to be uh, visible things like my role. Uh, the, Paul makes it clear himself in 1 Corinthians 12 that even the most subtle ministries in the church, set-up team, uh, being with babies in the nurseries, things like that are just as important, even in many ways more important than the more visible roles. To understand your role, you need to ask not only what is my role, but here's a point of maturity that yours truly is still working on as a Christian. It's what isn't your role. What are you not supposed to be doing? That is a helpful way to sometimes figure out what your job in the kingdom is, just as Paul was very clear on his job and purpose and role. So Paul understood this, what he was supposed to do and what he was not supposed to do. And that comes through the business he did with Jesus in relationship with him. 
Now, let's get to the second P. The second P of the giving life is revealed in verse 22. It says this, This is the reason why I've come so often been hindered from coming to you. Jump down to verse 32. He says, So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Here is an interesting piece of the second P. Five times in, it, in our text, Paul says, I will come to you. I will come to you. The giving life is almost always initiating into people's lives and giving. And more specifically, giving with presence. That's our second P, is presence. I might add it's, again, an initiating presence that really older Christians typically do with younger Christians or even unbelievers. Now, uh, the giving life is never, to be clear, come to me. The giving life of God's kingdom is that giving love that moves to the one who needs grace. Real life givers in Christ go to others who need grace. How can I say that? Well, that's what Jesus himself did. Jesus and his purpose came to us from the glories of heaven. He left heaven uh, and entered into our lost and broken world to build the church, to redeem us personally. And on this Palm Sunday, you might recall that Jesus even walked into a dangerous place where people were warning him, don't go there, they're going to kill you if you go there. He went into Jerusalem where one minute they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few days later, they're they're shouting, crucify him. Jesus still came to the people, even though he knew they would crucify him. This makes Christianity, you should know, very different than all other religions in the world. In all other religions of the world, the inferior being has to go to the superior God or being. But here Jesus turns that upside down in that the Son of God came to broken people who weren't able to go to the God of holiness. The Holy Christ came to us. Now, what's the application for us as as followers of Christ? Well, we're called to get out of our comfort zones and go. Say, I will come to you. I will invest my life in you. That begins with your kids if you have children. But if you're single, that even means you invest your life in people who may not know Christ. That's true whether you're married, where you're working, whether you're at home. That you go to those who need the presence of a Christian offering the grace of God in their lives. And let me tell you, if you do this go-to thing... It will challenge you. I think that's why a lot of people give up on the go-to and the Great Commission, is it gets too hard. Let me tell you what's beautiful about it getting hard. It's the second aspect of what Paul says here in this presence thing. The benefit that you never think about is that when you go into people's lives, when you do mission, when you bring grace and the gospel with you to someone, you find friends. Did you see how in our text, early in the text, he talks about, I am coming to you uh, to be helped on my journey, to enjoy your company for a while, and 
Later on, he says, to be refreshed by you. There's the little surprise. When you give yourself away, you actually find friends, heart friends to do kingdom labor together with. Are you lonely? Are you empty? Are you feeling isolated even in church? Stop isolating. Reach out. Your purpose is to go and invest your life in someone. That brings us to the third P uh, of the giving life. We've talked about uh, presence. We've talked about purpose. But here in verse 25 to 26, Paul gives another P. Uh, He says, at present, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia. I've been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. The third P is financial provision. I promise you, on a day that we announced the One Fund initiative that Blair talked about earlier, I did not plan to do the sermon. It just kind of happened that way. So you can take my word for it. This is an amazing text where Paul actually says, I cannot wait to come to you Romans, but first I've got something to do. I have a very important purpose and mission. Paul is saying, I have to take money to Jerusalem where there is a need among the saints. Here's what had happened in Jerusalem. At this time in Paul's ministry and the life of the Roman Empire, there had been a terrible famine in Judea. And that affected Jerusalem, it affected the Christians. And so he was bringing resources, money, with him from all the other churches uh, to give back to the Jerusalem church. And what's interesting about that is among those churches we learn from 2 Corinthians 8 are the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. That's the northerners and the southerners of Greece. And the northerners were the poor folk. And they were looking for ways we want to give, is what they were saying in 2 Corinthians 8. Let us find ways to give actively. In other words, a key piece of the giving life is financial provision. And the way to be freed up to give financially is to do it with thanks. In fact, Paul says the uh, Macedonians and Achaeans owed the Jerusalem church the resources. Why would he say that? Well, uh, Romans 13 says you owe the debt of love. They love them, but they loved him for a reason. Because Jerusalem had given up so many resources for the gospel to go out around the Roman Empire. And they're like, thank you. Thank you for being generous to us in past decades. Let us be generous to you in return. This is thanksgiving that motivates giving. You could never learn to give in generosity with finances until you stop and thank God for what he's provided, especially in the gospel. Now, you know what's interesting about this text is there are three words in here that describe this financial giving. It is uh, the language of service, collection, and koinonia. Those three words describe really what we're getting at when we're talking about giving financially, and that is we're talking about sharing, sharing resources. The very thing you learn in kindergarten and at home with your brothers and sisters when you're a kid. 
The sharing of resources included for the church back then in missions, mercy, as we know in the uh, Jerusalem church, taking care of pastors. It included even, and we, we see from the second uh, century church, providing for uh, facilities and rental of places to worship or even the purchase of places. We have evidence of that historically. So Paul is saying, hey, we're here to share out of thanks. We're here to share because God's been generous to us. But Paul knew that some challenges would have faced him when he arrived in Jerusalem. And that brings us to the fourth P, prayer in verse 30. Look at this, what it says about prayer. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The giving life requires prayer. And Paul here asks for two prayers, that he be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that the Christians would accept the gift that he was bringing in Jerusalem. And why would he pray that? Well, you know, sometimes when you've been the the most influential church in Christendom in that time, you've been the one sending people and powerful, sometimes it's hard to receive. And he's praying that they would have a reception of God's gift to them. When you give in the giving life, when you give this service to God, Paul asks for prayer. And here's what's interesting about that. You've got to ask why. I mean, this guy has healed people, he's planted churches, he's led thousands to Christ, tens of thousands maybe. The Lord has done extraordinary things from, through him, and yet here he is asking for prayer. Why? He seems to have his act together. Well, here's the truth. When you serve Jesus with purpose and with provision, uh, among other things you will not feel stronger and more competent. You will feel your weakness. You will feel your limits. You will sense your inabilities and, yes, inadequacies. In other words, you will feel your need. Now, some of us might say, are you saying that uh, that... That if I put myself out there for Jesus with these peas and a giving life in his kingdom with purpose, presence, and provisions, I will feel less competent, less powerful, less together. I will feel my need more. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Now, that is a scary thought for people in America who like to be, who love our competence and. <laughs> Lord knows I love competence more than anybody in this room. Yet I want to tell you that while God can use you in powerful ways in people's lives sometimes by giving your life away, it's good to feel your inadequacy. Paul knew he would go back to Jerusalem and likely run into trouble with the Jews and with the Jewish authorities. He needed deliverance, hence he prayed, and he wanted prayer along with the community. It's tough to ask for prayer when you're a competent person. But that is where God wants us to live. In our need. Not in our strength without Him. Vulnerability. Even before the community by saying, pray for me. 
was a really important part of Paul's ministry. When you do good ministry, do you ask for prayer? Are you asking for prayer right now? Jesus, this feels too big for me. (laughs) Yeah, it is too big for you. Ask him. And not only ask him, but include other people in your midst. If you're not asking for prayer, and this is a good sign for me when I'm struggling with self-sufficiency, you're probably struggling with self-sufficiency. But Jesus calls us to a life of needing him more and wanting him more. So, the wonder of the gospel is that when you ask for prayer, when people start praying, God uses those prayers to make things happen. He has ordained from eternity to use prayer as the thing that moves his kingdom along with his word and in the power of the Spirit. We have forgotten that in our activist age, in our escapist age, where we look to other things rather than to the Lord for our comfort. But it is there in prayer that you and I can meet the Lord of the universe, humble ourselves before him, And he will lift us up. So, this is the good news of the gospel for us today. Christ is leading us into our need of prayer. And if you're going to serve Jesus in any kind of giving life, with finances, uh, provisions that is, with presence, uh, with even uh, purpose, you're going to find you need prayer more, not less. Paul knew this. That's why he was asking for prayer. And that brings us to our fifth and final P in our text. And that P is God's providence. Look at verse 31 with me. Paul says this, uh, uh, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. My service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Here's the interesting thing about Paul's life from here on out. He's writing about 57 A.D. Uh, His plan, his vision, his itinerary that he had all worked out here would go like this. He'd go to Jerusalem. He'd give money to the church uh, with its financial needs in Jerusalem. He would preach the gospel to Jews in the temple and other places. He would gather up probably a few co-laborers and resources, as was his habit. He would go to Rome, spend a little time there, uh, build up uh, his readiness to go and plant a church and preach the gospel in Spain, and he would take off. But you know what? Acts 21 through 28 says it didn't exactly go the way he had planned. In fact, in God's providence, God changed things for him. Oh, he got to Jerusalem. He brought the gift. He preached in the temple of all places. I mean, you still wonder, wow, what boldness. It's hard to understand sometimes. He was arrested by the Jews. He was tried by the Romans, then by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Then he visited the Roman governor and the Jewish king of that time. And in all that, he was falsely accused of some things and ended up appealing to Caesar as his final court 
As a Roman citizen in that time, if you didn't think you were being treated well by the court system of Rome, you could appeal to Caesar. And what's interesting about this is he, he did all this and it ended up that he ended up in Rome. <laughs> he actually ended up uh, being taken in chains all through the empire. He was in a shipwreck. Uh, he was stranded on an island, so to speak, in Malta for a while. And then he made his way finally to Rome where he waited for years before he finally got a hearing with, the, with uh, Caesar and his court. He was a political prisoner. And you're thinking, wow, he made all these glorious plans to go to Spain. But he ended up going to Rome in, a, in chains. Isn't that disappointing? The answer is no. Actually, all along the way, it, uh, Acts tells us that Paul preached the gospel to people all along the way. And some became Christians. He did miracles along the way. And then when he got to Rome, he did something that no plans he could have had could have helped him. He was imprisoned and as a result had access to very important people in the Roman government. And because of his access to a very important people in the Roman government, he shared the gospel with them. Some of them became Christians. He could have never planned influencing people in the Roman government like that on his own. In other words... God redeemed his efforts and redeemed, took his plans, which really didn't come to fruition exactly the way he thought, but came to fruition in a greater way. And I'll tell you what, you and I benefit from Paul being in prison in Rome for a few years. You know what that is? Several books of the Bible came out of that imprisonment. Philippians, Colossians, all written while he was in prison. Waiting to be tried. What can we glean from this? You and I make plans. And we should. Plans are a good thing. But as the scriptures say so plainly, and even in our text, it's all Lord willing. Look, in fact, down at verse 32. The very first words. He's talking about all his plans, and he says, So that by God's will, I may come to you. James 4 talks about this, that when we make our plans, and we should make our plans, we have to hold on to them loosely and say, Lord willing, because he is the Lord of all, and he sees every contingency. He has the ultimate plan. Ours are mere temporal plans, even short-sighted plans in many cases. When you enter the giving life, you will sometimes see something short-term, and you're going, I don't see how there's any good results in this. But in the long term, God will call you and show you the beauty of giving your life away. So my question to Redeemer is this. How is God testing our ways of giving? And I'm not just talking about money. How do you respond when all your well-intentioned plans, even for church, don't go your way? Jesus is there, reminding us gently, calmly, lovingly that He is Lord 
and that he is giving to us right now what we need, himself in the power of the Spirit. Not sure about that? Not sure about the challenges that await us as our families, as individuals, even as a church. Well, let me give you hope. There was a Christ who came into our world, who walked into Jerusalem as a king that everyone wanted to be, the conquering political king of the time. And days later, he was crucified, dead, and buried. And for all intents and purposes, all the disciples looked at the moment with despair because they had hoped that he would be the one. But alas, they had thought that he would be the one on their terms. And on the third day, he rose again. And it changed everything in history and everything in their hearts regarding Christ, the resurrected king. Do you think that the Christ who can be resurrected from the dead can change anything in our lives, in your life, in my life, in this church's life, can redeem us so that even our giving can be transformed in powerful ways? You better believe it. Jesus is Lord. Let's trust him as the giving Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you today as church family, as individuals. We come to you today as a people longing for you to give us hope that you are a giving God and you have good plans for us even though the waiting gets hard, even though things don't go the way we think, even though we sometimes are afraid to give of ourselves. We pray for that today, Lord, that we would begin like the Macedonians, not by giving money, not by giving our time talents, but we would give ourselves first to you. Awaken our hearts today, Lord, all of us. Begin with me, our leadership, with the leaders of homes here, with individuals, with college students, with teenagers, that we would commit ourselves to giving ourselves to something bigger, to someone bigger, you, our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we prepare to take communion. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his paths. Who knows the mind of our God? Who can bring counsel to him? Who has given to God that God should repay?